What the enemy meant for evil, God has worked it out for my good. Come on, can we stay right there for a moment? I said, what the enemy meant for evil, God has worked it out for my good. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, what the enemy meant, it only made me stronger. Come on, I don't know what you went through, and I don't know if you're going through anything, but I do know that there's a God up above that we can call on, day or night. And even in a worship service, we can call on Him. When maybe there's things around us that distract us, audio doesn't work, video doesn't work, lighting doesn't work, we can still call on the name that's above every name without any of this stuff. And so I challenge you today to just press in just a little bit and know that even when you're pressing in, it's working. When you can't see it, it's working. Can you sing this one with me? How great, come on, is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see how great. How great is our God. Come on, just a little bit longer. Say, how great is our God. Oh, sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Come on, it's the name above all names. You know it, lift your voice. It's the name above all names. He is worthy of all praise. And my heart will sing. How great is our God. Say it's the name above every name. He is worthy of it all, worthy of our praise, oh, and my heart will sing how great is our God. Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise this morning. It's working, I'm telling you. Father God, we love you. And we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you are ever present. And we can lift our hands and worship you, Lord. We thank you for giving us peace, yeah. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 
Amen. Amen. Come on, sing it again. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Oh, let's agree on this today. Amen. 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 Say the Lord bless you. Shine upon you, shine upon you, and be gracious, Lord. Turn this toward you and give you peace. All over this room, we say, Amen. Going, you're with me, rejoicing, he 
Say right there, say. so grateful for you we're so thankful for the cross where you were wounded you took on everything for us for all of our sins and the cross is the only hope for the world and God we thank you that we can stand here and proclaim your name we can worship you for the attributes of who you are for what you've done for the goodness you're a good good father 
your mercy endures forever. God, we are so thankful that we can stand on the word of God. And that our hope and our trust is in that word. That no matter if we turn left or turn right, Father God, the Bible is our compass. God, we are so grateful and we're so thankful for that. And we're so thankful that your presence is with us right now. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, the team just led us in that song, The Blessing. And the lyrics that they sang are really derived, they originate in Numbers chapter 6. God was in the midst of bringing his people out of bondage into a land of promise. And this is what God said to Moses concerning the blessing that Aaron and the priests would speak over his people. I don't know about you, but we live in very perilous times. In fact, I took Levi to band camp and it was the same day as the Uvalde shootings. There were dozens of kids who went to that band camp and at the forefront of my mind was, is my son safe? For the next four hours, while he's with his peers, is he safe? And as a parent, as I was leaving the campus, I was looking everywhere for a police vehicle. Only in America. Only in America. And it's so unfortunate. And so when we sing the song, may his favor be upon you. May his blessing be upon your children and your children's children. That's not the time to be cute. That's not the time to be indifferent and put your hands in your pocket. It is the time for you to intercede for your children before evil comes upon them. It's the time for you to pray for this nation. It is the time for you to petition God. Not the time for you to just sit there and and, and spectate. It's the time when we need to implore God and ask him for his visitation and his protection, not only upon you and your house, but upon this nation. And that's why we worship. And notice what the scripture says. In Numbers chapter 6 and verse 22, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. You know what that means? means everywhere I go, God, not only bless me, but protect me. Walmart in America has become a killing field. I don't even know if I go to Walgreens or to Walmart or if I send my kids to school if they're going to make it. In America. While we're trying to prevent wars in Ukraine, we've got a war on our hands right here at home. And this ain't the time, y'all, for the church to be indifferent, to be nonchalant. 
God has placed us here to be keepers of the gate. And that's why he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. God instructed Aaron through Moses to pray, bless them and keep them, protect them. Right now, for those of you who are watching virtually, you don't even realize it, but every single Sunday while we worship, we pay for a police officer, we pay for a police officer who is on site. When the church should be the safest place. We live in a day and time and we live in an America where it's necessary to have a police officer. You better pray, God bless me, but only bless me, Lord keep me. Protect me. Watch over me. And this was the blessing that God instructed Moses to tell Aaron to pray over the people. And it continues, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and the Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his countenance, meaning God, <laughs> wherever you look today, look toward me. Wherever you turn your face, turn your face toward me, turn your face toward me and mine. Don't look away, don't turn away. And that's what we've been singing for the last 10 minutes. It's a prayer that we all need to pray and take seriously because of the times in which we live. And the passage ends with these words, and God give you peace. God give you peace. God give you peace. And so Father, this morning we ask for your peace that passes all understanding. In the midst of uncertain times, we pray. We don't become partisan. We don't become political. We assume the posture of prayer. And when we pray, God, we're not informing you of the problem. You already know. Your word says you know what things we have need of even before we ask. But when we pray, we invite you. We don't inform you. We invite you into our circumstances. And so, God, when we don't know what to say and we don't know how to pray, and when laws have failed us, God, we turn to you and we ask for your protection. May your favor be upon us to a thousand generations, to our families, to our children, and our children's children. And God, just as you taught Moses to pray in Deuteronomy 28, you said if we would diligently hearken, if we would hear and obey your word, these blessings would run after us and overtake us. We would be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. We would be blessed going out and blessed coming in, that our enemy would come against us one way and he would flee before us seven ways. Father, we take it seriously. We need your protection. We need your hand upon us. So Father, shake us out of our complacency and indifference that we would be a church that prays and that we would be a church that stands in the gap for this nation, for our families, for our households and that God we can look to you not only to bless us but father to keep us 
in these perilous times. We trust you to do that now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Amen. Andrea, why don't you come? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ray. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. We say welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here in person for Converge Live for our VFAM Converge Nation. Thank you for joining us online where we are live streaming each week. We appreciate each of you. And if this is your first time here at Converge, we say welcome to you as well. Even if it's your first time joining us online, just give us a shout in the comments. Let us know that you're here. We want to greet you and thank you for choosing to spend your time with us today. So to celebrate our first time guest here in person, we do have a gift for you. We ask that you would stop by the Welcome Center at the end of service. Our pastors will be over there. They just want to greet you and connect with you and give you that gift. It is a token of appreciation and just our way of saying thank you for choosing to be with us today. We do have a few things also that we want to make you aware of that are happening here at Converge. The first thing is starting next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, June 5th, we will be kicking off a brand new sermon series titled Ghost Stories. Pastor Ray is going to be taking us during the month of June. He's going to be teaching us during, during the month of June about the person, the purpose, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So please make plans to attend and join us each Sunday for this amazing series that we're going to have. The second thing we want to make you aware of is that on Sunday, June 19th, it is Father's Day. And we are going to be celebrating... <laughs> Thank you. Yes, we are going to be celebrating our fathers, our fathers, father figures. And if you've been with us for any number of years, and you know, we used to have a theme on Father's Day of babies and bow ties because we also do baby dedications. But we are leveling up this year, and this year's themes will be suits and sneakers. So, men, put your suits and your sneaks on and come on out and hang out with us on Father's Day. Thank you so much. We will also be having baby dedications on Sunday, June 19th. So if you have a little one that you want to dedicate, please let us know. It's a special time of prayer for the parents and the godparents and our little ones that are, we're dedicating them back to the Lord. So we do have a sign-up sheet in the lobby at the end of the worship experience. You can sign up that way. You can also sign up by emailing admin at weareconverge.com and we will get the pertinent details to you. So please be sure to sign up. As we're moving into our Blessed Life segment of the worship experience, this is our chance where we, both here in person and online, can help partner here with Converge to help move forward the vision, the mission, and the, the purpose that God has given us here. So if you would like to partner with us financially, we have multiple ways that you can do that, some of which are here in person. We have ushers in the aisles with envelopes. If you need one, just raise your hand. We'll get it to you. Please fill out all the details so that we can record your giving. You can also give safely and securely online by visiting us at weareconverge.com forward slash give. You can give via text by texting Converge Give along with the dollar amount to 77977. And you can also text by downloading our mobile app. You just search the iOS and the Android app stores to find and download Converge Church 
Plano. We have a few more ways that you can give. All that detail will be on the screen. And just thank you so much for everything that you do to help partner with us financially. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your financial gifts. Let us have a quick word of prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to sow into the good ground that is here at Converge. We thank you for every gift. We thank you for every hand and heart that is given or desired to give. We know, God, that it is to lift you up, to reach the people that you've called us to, to do the work of the kingdom here in this area. We love you, God. We appreciate you. We appreciate every hand and heart that is given. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for your attention. Enjoy the rest of the worship experience. So, Father, today we thank you for the sacrificial service of our service members, those who gave their lives to protect the freedoms that this great nation espouses. Lord, you said in your word, greater love has no man than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his brother. Father, we thank you for all those, every branch of our armed forces, every service member who gave sacrificially, and we pray not only for them, God, this morning we remember and we acknowledge their families who've lost loved ones in service to this nation. Father, we ask you for your peace that passes all understanding to guard their hearts and their minds. And this Memorial Day, while we're celebrating with family and friends, an extra day, a long weekend, I pray, God, that we will not forget what this day represents. Sacrificial service to humanity. We thank you, God, for every family represented here who may have a service member currently serving. God, we ask for your protection. We ask that you keep them in Jesus' name. We give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor for it. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. I'm going to switch microphones. I'm going to go to one of these host mics since we're having uh, feedback. And boom, okay? This is RF6. All right. Fantastic. Can you guys hear me okay? All right. Fantastic. Well, good morning and happy Memorial Day to you. 
All right, let's try that one more time. Good morning and happy Memorial Day to you. I know that was a sort of somber transition, but I never wanted to be lost on us why we celebrate Memorial Day. It's about more than barbecue and hot dogs and an extra day off, right? We celebrate and honor and acknowledge the ultimate price that many paid on our behalf. We, we memorialize our veterans who gave their lives in service to this nation. It has been said, all gave some, but some gave all. And today is about honoring and celebrating those who gave all in service to this great nation. All right, y'all ready for the word? All right, we're going to transition. <laughs> we're going to transition to uh, today's message. Listen, last week I had so much fun with you. Uh, we talked about the four commitments for life. Did that resonate with anybody last week? You guys had some takeaways, some things you could immediately apply uh, to your life, to your relationships. Uh, fantastic. Now, listen, uh, one of the things that we say here at Converge Church is that we're not only sticklers for God's word, but we also want you to recognize that everything we say here on Sunday mornings from the word of God is transferable. So it's not limited to or reserved exclusively to what happens here on Sunday mornings. You can take the principles that we teach from God's word and apply them in every area of your life because the word of God is transferable. Here it is. It is immutable. It is unchanging. In fact, Isaiah said it this way uh, as he spoke the word of the Lord. He said, so shall it be uh, the words that come out of my mouth, they will not return unto me void. Meaning God's word never returns to him empty or unfulfilled. It says it will always prosper in the thing where unto his word is sent. Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11. So when you hear God's word and receive God's word, this is the guarantee that God's word will always prosper in the thing where unto it is sent. So if you take God's word and apply it to your life, you will see the results. It may not be immediate, y'all, but it is inevitable. Yeah. I'll say that again. The fulfillment of God's promise in your life may not be immediate, but it is inevitable. And most of us struggle with that because we expect life to happen on our terms. We expect God to do it our way. But what if God's plan for your life is not an instant answer to your prayer because he wants to take you to a process, through a process that's going to transform you? Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. God is all about the process because he uses the process to prepare us and to build us and to grow us into the size of the dream that he's placed in our hearts. So if you're Joseph and God gives you a dream at 17 and he doesn't fulfill it until you're 30, he's taking you through a 13-year process. But none of it is a waste of time. If you're Abraham and God gives you a promise at 75 that he doesn't fulfill until you're 100, he's taking you through a 25-year process because there's something in the process that will prepare you, here it is, for the promise. Who y'all missed a good place to say amen. amen. There's something about the process that will prepare you for the promise. How many of you give your kids a car 
before they get a license. You wouldn't do that, right? Even though that'd be cool if they could drive a car at 13. The problem with driving a car at 13 is you're not prepared for the promise. So you have to go through a process that prepares you for the promise. It would be reckless and irresponsible of me as a parent to give Levi the car keys and say, hey, Levi, run to the store and grab your dad some Skittles. Guess what it'll do? As much as Levi wants to drive now, if I gave Levi the keys, it would actually be destructive for him. What's God's delay about? God's delays are often about preparing us to steward the promise well. Can I add a flip side to that? Sometimes it's not just us waiting on God. Sometimes it's God waiting on us. Because our obedience to God schedules our seasons. You and I need to become one-lap Christians. And when I say one-lap Christian, when you obey the instruction on the first lap, you won't have to march around the wilderness for 40 years because you continue to disobey what God said the first time. And God said, listen, I'm ready to bring you all into the land of promise, but your heart in it. And I can't bring you into the land of promise with an Egypt mentality. You see, it took God one day to get the Israelites out of Egypt. It took him 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And sometimes God says, listen, uh, this process is going to prepare you for the promise. But in preparing you for the promise, there's some things I have to undo. There's some things I have to excavate. There's some things I have to remove because you can't bring that with you. Are you with me? Process, process, process. I don't even know how I got on that or why I got on that. I know I did. Oh, the principles of God are transferable. Amen? You can apply them to every area of your life. So when you hear these messages, they're not just for you to hear and say, okay, well, let me put it in my Sunday morning box. No, you take these principles forward and you apply them in every area of your life, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your parenting, how you carry yourself at work, how you lead your teams. These principles are transferable because these principles are based on the word of God, which will never return unto God void, empty, or unfulfilled. Amen? So this is what we said last week. Quick review. Uh, we talked about the four uh, agreements for life. Anybody remember what they are? There you go. The good students are on the front row, all the troublemakers are in the back. Come on, somebody. There you go. Always do your best. Oh, I like your translation. That's the Lita Harris translation. Come on, somebody. Always bring your 100. Come on. Always do your best. Uh, 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 be impeccable with your word. Don't make assumptions. What's the last one? Don't take anything personal. Amen. Very good. 
uh, can I have a moment of transparency and vulnerability with you? Just this week, just this week, that first principle, that first agreement in my life was tested. A one-year-old, somebody say one-year-old, a one-year-old commitment, a commitment that I made last year, came back to challenge my integrity. Now, when I made the commitment last year, <laughs> come on, somebody. Y'all laughing already because y'all know what time it is. When I made the commitment last year, the circumstances were very different than they are right now. I could not have predicted or foreseen that the commitment that I made last year would look the way it does this year. And the commitment I made was, uh, it had two parts. Fulfilled the first part of the commitment. And then as I began to count the cost of the second part of the commitment, can I be transparent and honest with you? I reneged on the commitment. Because the circumstances under which I made the commitment last year were very different. But it doesn't excuse the fact that I gave my word. And that's why last week I mentioned that the psalmist said, a man swears to his own hurt and changes not. So when I reached out to the person, I said, listen, <laughs> I'm good for this first part of the commitment, this second part of the commitment. I don't know if I could do it. Uh, 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 uh. In fact, I said, I can't fulfill the second part of the commitment. And the second part of the commitment was really an ask. Will you release me from this commitment? Because the circumstances are very different. And the individual was unwilling to release me peacefully amicably from the commitment. So guess what I do? I fix it. Because I gave my word. Are you with me? Be impeccable with your word. Be impeccable with your word. Uh, okay. Uh, I want to say a couple more things. But listen... Your word matters. Hmm? Your word matters. So one week after preaching this, I was tested with it. And it is my responsibility now to honor the commitment I made, even though the circumstances are different and it's one year later. Be impeccable with your word. Don't make assumptions. And what do we say about assumptions? Listen, it's important that you don't make assumptions uh, because um, uh, assumptions are really rooted in our inner script. You see, if you don't ask questions, if you don't seek clarification, if you don't agree to something, 
right? Then you walk away from that circumstance telling yourself stories that may or may not be true. And most of us, because we don't deal with it, we don't have those confrontations, we end up telling ourselves stories that may not be true about a person, about a situation, or about a circumstance. It's a big, big deal, all right? Don't take anything personally. We talked about that, right? Thick skin, tender heart. Thin skin, calloused heart. The reason that's important is because we are supposed to guard our hearts, Proverbs 4 and 23, because out of our hearts flow all the issues of life. And then always, always, always give your best. I like, Coach Lowe, I like your translation. Always give him 100, your 100, right? Why is that? Let me tell you something. Y'all ready for this? Proverbs chapter 22 says it this way. Do you see a man diligent in his business? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. You know one of the keys to elevation and promotion in the kingdom of God? Just be diligent in your business. Just do good work. Just do quality work and your reputation will precede and follow you everywhere you go and your gift will make room for you. So always give your best. Are y'all with me? Uh, today I want to talk to you uh, specifically. I want to pick up where we left off and I want to talk to you even as it relates more specifically to to. to uh, four agreements or what you could call four commitments of Converge Church. And this is important because it has to do with, with culture and it has to do with uh, 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 working together and it has to do with being relational. And again, I don't want you to tune out because what I'm saying to you doesn't only apply to this local church, it applies to every area of our lives. Because God created us to be interdependent, he created us to be societal, he created us to be relational. And we have to learn how to do relationships well. Listen, relationships can be the greatest source of joy in your life. But equally so, they can be the greatest source of pain in your life. Think about the most painful things you have experienced and endured in your life. It was probably at the hands of another human being. Think about the most gratifying and fulfilling experiences you've had in your life, and it was probably because of the kindness of another human being. How we do relationships often determines how much pain we experience in our lives. And that's why we're gonna talk about it today, because your journey with a church should not be something you just endure, it should be something you enjoy. It should be the love boat, not the Titanic, y'all. Are you with me? Come on, somebody. And so there are certain things that are required of us if we're going to exist and coexist in a healthy organizational or even church culture that I want to revisit because we're going to pick up where we left off. So the, the production team is going to run a video for you real quick, and it is the antithesis, the opposite of what church should be. But it will help us understand the expectations that some people bring to church that are really not of God or from God. 
And if you see yourself somewhere in this video, come on, check yourself before you. Are you ready? Team, are you ready? All right, they're going to run the video, and then I'll be right back to finish today's message. Check this out. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I don't know who sets the worship center temperature, but why does it have to be so cold? Why do you have to be so right? Heated chairs are now being installed. This one wants a small church, but I'm afraid if it's too small, they're gonna make me volunteer like crazy. And I don't stack chairs, do I? Makes total sense. Join now and we'll let you decide the size of our church. We're millennials and we want a church that- Say no more. Any requests you have will be granted immediately. Parking is horrible. It takes me almost six minutes to get from my car to the building. Oh. It's gonna take me six seconds to tell you a valet service is on the way. My pastor's preaching, it's all over the map. I say, oh, I don't know, stick with the books of the Bible. We should be only exegetical. Okay, next week we start John chapter one, verse one. And we'll even start pronouncing that word the way you said it. Hey, I'd like this sermon to be no longer than 30 minutes. How does 15 minutes sound? Hey, anybody willing to go 15 should be willing to go to 10. <laughs> you drive a hard bargain. But from now on, five minute sermons it is. <laughs> now you're talking. Me Church, where it's all about you. <laughs> I love that video. <laughs> Just because for many people, that is their expectation. That church will be all about me. When the truth is, church should be about we. God never intended for the church to be a place where, like Burger King, you can have it your way. And that is the expectation that a lot of people have when they come into a church or they come into an organization. Listen, I'll be happy when you do things my way. But that was never God's design, never God's intention for his church. In fact, some of us bring a Nordstrom mentality, the customer's always right. And we always want to be right. And we always want to do things our way. When the truth is, God has called us to something much different and much greater as it relates to the local church. So we shared this with you last week. It's a quote from Jane Howard who said, call it a clan, call it a network, call it a tribe. Call it a family, whatever you call it, and whoever you are, you need one. We emphasized this last week that God did not create us to live in isolation, that God created us to be interdependent and relational. And for us, our tribe, our clan, our network is the local church. Our anchor text for this lesson today is the same as last week, it's from the New King James translation, and I'll read it in several others because it helps us understand what the church should look like, what our posture should be as it relates to the church. And Paul writes, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all do what? Speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together together 
in the same mind and in the same judgment. Notice the New Living Translation because it helps us understand what Paul is inviting us into even more clearly. It says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And how many of you realize that you can't be united in thought and purpose if everybody's trying to do church their way? It's an invitation to sacrifice. Living in authentic community is an invitation to yield and to submit, not to what you want, but for the greater good of the whole. And that is a hard thing because most of us are used to having our own way. We'll get into some more stuff here. Let me read it from a couple other translations and it will help us understand God's plan and God's mandate and God's blueprint for the church. This is from the voice translation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. It says, my brothers and sisters, I urge you by the name of our Lord Jesus, the anointed, to come, listen, to come together in what? Agreement. Do not allow anything, here it is, or anyone to create division among you. Instead, be restored, completely fastened together with one mind and shared judgment. And here's the final translation I'm going to read from. It is the Passion Translation. It says, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. To agree <laughs> to live in unity with one another and to put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. You know, we went to Pastor Wendy and I several years ago. We've been married 21 years now. But in one of our premarital counseling sessions, uh, uh, the pastor talked about conflict resolution in marriage. And he said, you guys need to make a decision now that you're either going to live in, you need to make the decision that whether you're going to be right or live in peace. Most people struggle in marriage. They struggle in their relationships because they would rather be right then live in peace. And sometimes living in peace means that you give up your right to be right. At the root of every problem that exists in our world is selfishness. We want it our way and we want it done on our terms. And the scripture says if we're going to live in unity, here it is, something's got to give. What does that mean, something's got to give? Pastor Jesse, why don't you come in here for a second? Yeah, come, come up here on stage. Something's got to give. 
Here's the problem. Pastor Jesse didn't know he was going to get a belt whipping. Ah, I'm going to take off my belt here. Pastor Jesse, can you take off your belt? You got on a belt? Please? Just because I got this pack on my belt. If I take it off, I ain't got nowhere to put it. All right, Magic Mike. Did I just say that? <laughs> All right, Pastor Jesse. You can hold one end of the belt, Pastor Jesse, if you don't mind. You know what this, this is a picture of? Two people in a relationship insisting on their way. It's the tug of war that exists in marriages, that exists in relationship. So you go ahead and pull, Pastor Jesse. I'm going to pull too. Now you can't tell, but up here, the more I pull, the farther apart we get. The more I insist on my way and Pastor Jesse insists on his way. We're not growing together, we're growing apart. You insist that your way is the right way, he insists his way is the right way, and guess what? Every single day, you stand your ground, you're growing farther and farther apart. But when we say something's got to give, what happens if I stop, stop pulling and I give? You get closer. And the more you give, instead of insisting, no, you can hold it, you can hold the end of it. The more you give, the more I give and the more he gives. No, don't, don't pull. You're messing up my illustration, Doc. No. Easy. The more I give, you give something too now. And the more I give, you give something. <laughs> he he didn't want to give. The closer we get. You see, the thing that we want in our relationships doesn't come by insisting on having your way. It comes when you give. It doesn't happen when you stand your ground. It happens when you give and meet in the middle. Y'all see that? Thank you, Pastor Jesse. And that's the problem with most of us in our relationships. We want a church that caters to us, that revolves around us. And most of the things that we fight for, listen to me, most of the things that we insist on are about our preferences. They're not about the principle. Did y'all hear that? Most of us only want things because we're not fighting for the principle. What's the principle that's at stake? Well, no, it's just a preference. Well, I like it like this. And I wish you would do it like this. But what's the greater principle? Uh, uh, most people come to church and, and, and the issue is about style, but they don't pay any attention to the substance. In fact, most people will miss the substance because they don't like the style. Are y'all with me? And if two people or a group of people are going to coexist, something's got to give. The problem is nobody want to go first. Yeah, that is the secret to having healthy relationships. You go the extra mile. Are y'all with me? Okay. 
So here we go. Uh, four commitments. <laughs> four commitments of Converge Church. Uh, we talked about this briefly last week when we introduced these new families, and I'm super excited because we added four families. Uh, come on, somebody, get excited with me. Added four families to Converge Nation last week, and there are several more. Someone, someone uh, 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 mentioned this to one of our team leaders, and they said, hey, man, how do I go through next steps? I want to do Avenger Assemble too. I said, come on, Avengers. We're going to continue to assemble. But as you assimilate into this local body of believers, listen, there are four commitments. We talked about the four agreements for life. There are four commitments that we ask you to make. The first commitment, here it is, is that you will protect the unity of our church. Oh, man, that's a big one. That is a big one. So the first commitment is I will protect the unity of my church. What does that mean in very practical terms? This is how we invite people to protect the unity of the church. By walking in love and by resisting strife and division and by aligning with the vision and values of our church. Just those three things alone, that's a whole sermon series right there. What does it look like to walk in love? What does it look like to align with the visions and values of a local church? What does it mean to resist strife and division? And why is that so important? Let me tell you why it's so important. Psalm 133 and verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And the last verse in that psalm says, For there God commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. You know where God commands his blessing? He commands his blessing in a place where there is unity. Where there's division, where there is strife, ain't no blessing. Where there is unity, God, listen, commands the blessing. This is true for the church. It is true for your life personally. It is true for your relationships. And that's why the local church ought to protect its unity because that's where God commands the blessing. Now, you said, Pastor Ray, I don't know about all of that. Let me just set your heart at ease. You can have unity in spite of diversity. You can have unity in spite of your differences. You know why? Oneness does not mean sameness. And a lot of times we think when someone invites you to a place of unity, it means that you have to become them. It doesn't mean you have to become them. You can have unity when two people are complementary. Because if everybody was the same, one of you would be unnecessary. And that's what happens in marriage. You try to get your spouse to become you. And when they become you, they become unnecessary. Y'all ain't listening to what I'm saying. When God intended for the differences in your spouse to complement your uniqueness and vice versa. Oh, no, no, I want you to do it my way. I want you to do it my way. And all of a sudden, somebody gets unnecessary because you're married to yourself. And how many of you realize being married to yourself 
gets boring real fast. And then you start looking for something more interesting and more adventurous. No, 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 listen to me. You can have unity with diversity. Because two people can be different and still be one. Because they complement each other. Luis Vasquez, why don't you come? Let's go ahead and bump up the keys real quick. I'm going to show you this illustration. Okay? We're going to show you what it looks like to live in unity. Another word that we use is not just unity. The other word we use is harmony. Are you with me? Okay, so if you ever sang in a choir and the choir director came out and said, we're going to sing the first verse in what? Unison. What does that mean? Everybody going to sing all together the same thing, right? Most of us think that that is the definition of unity. So just give me a C note, just a note, a C note, note, just a note. Okay, so that's the C note. But if you're going to make beautiful music, you don't make beautiful music by just playing one note. The music becomes more beautiful as you add other notes. And as you add other notes, you're not just adding the same note. So this is what it sounds like if you add the same notes. Let's add a, a C higher octave. Okay, so it's the same note. One's a lower octave, one's a higher octave. Let's go ahead and add another C higher octave. So you got three notes. One's low, one's in the middle of the range, and one's at the top of the range. But it's all the same note. That's what it sounds like when you insist that everybody got to be like you. You all sound the same. Come on, Stepford wives. But listen, what God calls the church to is not that. Because God calls a bunch of people who are very different, very unique, created in the image and likeness of God to be united but still individuals. Does that make sense? So play the C note, just one note. And now let's build the C chord. Ah, you hear that? So play the C and then play the next note. Just two notes. Play C, play the next note. So that second note is the third above the C. That's an E. When you play the C note and then you add the third above it, which is the E note, now you have what? You have harmony. Because he's not playing two of the same notes, but the two notes that he is playing, C and E, complement each other, and it sounds much more beautiful than just playing a bunch of C notes. Now add the third note. All right, that's called a triad. Those three notes coming together, C, E, and what? C, E, and G coming together create the C chord. But it's three different notes that complement each other, but that work together to make a beautiful harmony. When we invite people to unity, we're not asking everybody to be the same. We're asking everybody to bring their uniqueness and let's work together to create the same thing. You be you, I'll be me, but we're going to unite around a common vision and a common goal and in the process create harmony. Are y'all with me? You ought to create that environment in your family. 
You ought to create that environment in your relationships where not everybody has to be a C. But if you're going to be a C, make sure the person in your life is an E. Make sure the person in your life is also a G. But there are some people you invite in your life, instead of a C, they sound more like a C minor. Play a C minor. See how that sounds ominous and scary. When you have the wrong people in your life, they don't sound like a beautiful C that lifts. They sound like a C minor that pulls you down. It's very important, it's very important for you to understand that unity and oneness does not mean sameness, that you can have diversity in the midst, or you can have unity in spite of diversity. Everybody show your love for Luis. Amen. So when we say we need to be united, what we're not asking you to do is give up who you are. We're asking you to bring who you are the way God uniquely created you. Because when you add what you have to who we are, we don't have unison, we have harmony. Are you with me? You ought to be that way with people in your life. I want to say some stuff about that, but I'm going to leave it there. Here's another one. I will share, here's the second commitment, I will share the responsibility of my church. How many of you realize that one is too small a number to accomplish anything great? That we need each other. And that's one of the things we say often here at Converge Church. But what does that look like to share the responsibility of your church? It means everybody does their part. It means you have something meaningful and significant to add in order for us to grow to the next level because we're better together. It just doesn't rest with the pastor. It doesn't just rest with the pastors. It doesn't, doesn't rest with the pastor's wife. It's everybody collectively putting their hand to the plow to make a difference. So let me give you an example of that. I'm going to go fast and furious, and then we're going to wrap up. Look at Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 1. Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. We'll read through seven verses and then I think I'll be out of your way. Is this helping anybody so far? Okay, Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. You might be leading an organization. You might be thinking about your family, your household, your family culture. Uh, Acts chapter 6 is a beautiful bl blueprint for what it looks like when everybody is sharing the responsibility of the local church. Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. It says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying... There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Listen to me. Some exciting things were happening in the, the, the early church. In fact, by all estimations, this was a mega church. Remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached one sermon and 3,000 people were added to the church that same day. Now with growth come some challenges. So while they're growing numerically, something happens. They realize that there were a group of people who were being neglected. Because one of the responsibilities of the church was to take care of widows and orphans. Now in the local church, what they realized was, hold up now, go figure. They had cliques in the early church. They had one clique that was taking care of their own and neglecting the others. Even in the early church, as the church was growing, there was an opportunity for division and strife. And notice what happened. 
They were divided based on their ethnicity. Yeah, man. The Hebraic Jews, right, who were, he were Hebrews, were taking care of the Hebrew uh, 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 widows and orphans, and they neglected the Greeks. It can be that subtle. That even in a church where everybody, listen, our pastor of church, we're sitting in these pews and online, they are both Republicans and Democrats. Sitting in these pews. There are people who are right and left. We all love Jesus, though. And I have realized as a pastor that it takes a left wing and a right wing to fly a plane. And so what happened was they gravitated toward people who were like them. That's a source of division in any organization. When you begin to gravitate and embrace and celebrate only people that look like you, only people who think like you, only people who talk like you. And so guess what happened? Even though the church was growing, all of a sudden, they had to pump the brakes because now they have a problem of division and strife because people are being neglected. Now, how many of you realize by the time somebody complains about it, it's already been a problem for a minute. And so in this early church that had so much potential, there is something that is about to undermine what God is doing in this church. And it was their division. Are y'all with me? And so the story continues. In Acts chapter two, uh, 6, verse 2, it says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And they were saying, Listen, this is an important issue. We need to resolve it. But if we give attention to it, then as the pastors and as the leaders, we won't be able to preach the word. You see what I'm saying? That the first responsibility of the pastor isn't conflict resolution. We know it's a problem that needs to be addressed, but if I take my time off of studying and preaching the word to wait on tables and to minister to widows, I will be doing this church a disservice. So this is what we're going to do. It says, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you, verse 3, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men. None of the qualifications for these men. Seven men, number one, what? Good reputation. Number two, they had to be full of the Holy Spirit. And number three, they had to have wisdom that we may appoint over this business. So they picked seven men full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, and who had a good reputation. To do what? Guess what their job was? To wait on tables. Now, let me pump the brakes there. Because I've been around church stuff long enough. When you get around people who have a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, guess what they're ready to do? Start their own ministry. Oh, no, God called me. Man, I'm full of the Holy Ghost. I'm full of wisdom. Me? Children's church? Nah. Set up and tear down me, full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom? 
good reputation? Nah, not me, man. In fact, the word used there is diakonos, where we get the word deacon. And their responsibility to keep the church healthy and strong was to wait on tables and serve widows and orphans who were being neglected. But to serve the widows and orphans, you had to have a good reputation, you had to be full of the Holy Spirit, and you had to be full of wisdom. You know why? One of the commitments here at Converge Church is I will share the responsibility of my church. It's because of that right there. Now, notice what happened. Notice what happened. I'm going to go fast. It says, uh, verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the leaders of the church, the pastors were like, listen, we'll appoint these seven men who will take care of these, this business so that no one is neglected, so that every need is met, so that no one is overlooked. And while you're serving them, we'll give ourselves to the word of God and prayer. Verse 5 says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Let me just stop there for a second. This is Acts chapter 6, but by the time you get to Acts chapter 8, guess what Stephen is doing? Stephen is the first person in the history of the early church who was about to be martyred for his faith. He started in ministry waiting on tables, but when he is arrested by the Sanhedrin, he preaches. Go read all of Acts chapter 7 and most of Acts chapter 8. He preaches from Genesis all the way to Malachi, and he points people to Jesus. But guess what his role was in the church? Waiting on tables. This was a guy who died for his faith. But where did he start in ministry? Waiting on tables. This was a guy who was anointed enough to pastor his own church. But what was he found doing in that church in Jerusalem? Waiting on tables. You know why? Stephen understood the importance of sharing the responsibility of his church. And that's why we say here at Converge, everybody does the dishes. You can be of good reputation, you can be full of the Holy Spirit, you can be full of wisdom, but if you're not willing to do the dishes. Listen, if you're too big to follow, you're too small to lead. Y'all hear that? If you're too big to follow, in God's economy, you're too small to lead. I can't tell you the story about all of them, but there's a second guy. There's a second guy in this list of seven men. His name is Philip. Again, by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, Philip is preaching in Samaria. And signs and wonders, people are getting healed. Miracles are happening. But guess what he was doing in the church at Jerusalem? Waiting on tables. You mean somebody that anointed that could turn a city upside down with his preaching and see miracles happen was content waiting on tables in his church? Yeah because they understood the power of sharing the responsibility of their church. Are y'all tracking with me? That's the second commitment that we make here at Converge. Now, why is that important? Let me tell you why that's important. When there was neglect in the church, even though it had been growing, once the neglect surfaced, the growth stopped until they resolved it. Now, notice what happens in verse 7. It says, then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied what? Greatly. And a great many of, many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Why did the church grow? 
because everybody shared the responsibility of their church. There were no big eyes and little U's. Everybody did their part. And as a result, the church grew exponentially. The second agreement we invite people to make when they become, become a part of Converge Church is, I'm going to do my part. Now, why is that important? It's important because one of my mentors told me early on, said, Ray, you know the quickest way to starve a horse? He said to assign two people to feed it. I said, what do you mean? He says, over time, one person's going to think, well, no, it was your turn to feed the horse. And the other person is going to say, oh, no, it was your turn to feed the horse. Oh, no, no, it was your turn. And in the process, we stop taking our responsibility for our part. What has God called you to do? To serve not just the vision of Converged Church, but the vision of the kingdom. I will do my part. And so what does that look like in very practical terms? I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched and dechurched, and by warmly welcoming those who visit. Number three, I will serve the ministry of my church. How do I do that? I do that by cultivating a servant's heart. Listen, I, I, I don't know why people miss this, but the mother of, of, of James and John came to Jesus, uh, Jesus one day, and, and, and they said, uh, she, you know, like all mothers do, we want the best for our kids. He came to Jesus, and this is what she said. He said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, this is what I want for my babies. Come on, somebody. Parents, especially mamas, we are theist negotiators when it comes to our kids. So James and John's mom came to Jesus and said, Jesus, this is what I want. Now remember, they thought Jesus was going to be a military ruler that would get rid of Roman oppression. So she comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, this is what I want. I want my babies to sit on your right hand and your left. That's what I want. When you sit on the throne, I want one son on your right and one son on your left. I want them to be the inner circle. I want them to be part of your entourage. You know what Jesus' response was? He said, whoever sits on my left and right is not even in my hands to decide. But second, anyone who would be great in the kingdom, let him be servant of all. You know how Jesus measures greatness in the kingdom? It's not by our titles. It's about those of us who are willing to take up our towels and watch, wash each other's feet. Are y'all with me? So I will serve the ministry of my church. That's the third agreement. How do I do that? How do I do that? By cultivating a servant's heart. By being equipped to serve my pastors. And by discovering and developing my gifts and talents. Now, why is that important? 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, there's a couple different translations, but I'm going to say this to you from the New King James. Here it is. As each one has received a gift, let him minister that gift as a good steward of the manifold gift of God, the manifold grace of God. Look at the first part of that. As each one has received a gift. Listen, I'm looking to a room with people that have been gifted by God. And the scripture says, as each one 
has received a gift. That means everybody in this room right now, and even those watching uh, uh, virtually, you have received a gift from God. Everybody. Now, your gift might be different from my gift, but no gift is more important than the other. And because each one has received a gift, we are without excuse. You have something that I can't do. I have something that you can't do. But when we put it all together, there's nothing we can't do together. So the first thing you have to recognize is, oh, I'm gifted. Oh, I'm carrying something. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to discover it. And that's why our lives have to move through three phases. Number one, discover. Number two, develop. And number three, deploy. You have to discover what God has entrusted to you. But everything God gives us, he gives us in seed form. So it's not enough just to know you have a gift. You have to take what God has given you and you have to develop it. And after you have developed the seed of greatness that you carry, then you can deploy it. I remember listening to Deion Sanders talk about growing up in Florida. And he said they had to walk past the cemetery to get to his house. And he said late at night, they were so scared growing up when it was dark that they would run past the cemetery. And he realized he was faster than all of his peers. That was his moment of discovery. I'm fast. The gift God has given me is speed. He began to develop that singular seed, that singular gift. Well, if I'm faster than all of my friends, let me start running track. Let me start playing football. So he starts running track, starts playing football, gets a scholarship to Florida State University, gets drafted, not just for professional football, but professional baseball. It turns into millions of dollars. What was his gift, Jesse? It wasn't speaking. It wasn't any of the other things that we think will give us a platform. He discovered, I'm fast. And he discovered it, he developed it, and he deployed it. What is your gift? And if you know what your gift is, if you have discovered it, are, what are you doing to develop it? What are you doing to make it better? If it's in seed form, how are you nurturing it? How are you feeding it? So that after you have nurtured and developed it and fed it, now you can deploy it in service to others. As each one has received a gift, let him minister that gift as a good steward of the manifold gift of God. Now notice that word steward. What does steward mean? Steward means manager. It doesn't mean owner. What does that mean? God expects a return on everything he has entrusted to you. Go back and read the parable of the talents. He gave one five. That guy multiplied and made it ten. He gave one two. That guy multiplied and made it four. And then he gave one one. And guess what he did? He took that talent and hid it. And the master came and said, where's the talent I gave you? He said, I was scared. The paralysis of analysis made me do nothing with what you gave to me. And guess what the master said? The master took the gift, the one gift that this guy had, took it and gave it to the guy who had 10. Oh God, that's not fair. 
God expects a return on his investment. Do you give money to a financial person and they say, well, I just sat on your money. I didn't do nothing with it. And you keep giving them money every year. No, you're going to take your money from them. And you're going to give it to somebody who is doing something with it. Why? Because God expects a return on what he's put in you. And if you are a one gift Christian, develop that gift, multiply it, and give it back to God in service to his people. That is his expectation. Most people just have the one gift and they sit on it, do absolutely nothing. And God says, you don't own it. You're supposed to manage it for me. I own it. I gave it to you to do something with it. And if you don't use it, guess what? I take it from you and I give it to somebody else. Be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. I will share. I will serve the ministry of my church. Uh, notice what it says in the voice translation. Use whatever gift you've received, whatever gift you've received for the good of one another so that you can show yourselves to be good stewards of God's grace in all its varieties. I love that because God's grace doesn't come in one shade or one variety. The Passion Translation says, every believer, that's you. Somebody say, that's me. Every believer has received grace gifts, so use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. Final thing, fourth commitment. Fourth commitment. I will contribute to the health of my church by giving of my time and my talent faithfully and sharing my resources generously. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. And I'm just going to read this to you so you can get this, and I'm not going to belabor the point. But notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 from the New Living Translation. It says, he, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Woo! It says, as each part, that's you, does its own special work. It's unique. It's not going to look like what I do. It's going to look like what God has called you to do. But each part does its own special work. Guess what happens? It helps the other parts grow. When I show up, the people connected to me get better. When you show up, the people connected to you get better. When I do my part, it helps facilitate growth. And here it is. From whom the whole body, this is the New King James Version, from whom the whole body joined and knit together, notice what it says, by what every joint supplies. 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 Every joint in your body is supplying something to another joint. And because one joint is supplying something to the other joint, that other joint is healthy. That other joint is vibrant. The problem happens when one joint stops supplying something to the other joint, the joint that it's connected to. That's when we begin to have problems in our body when each joint isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And so what God calls us to do is to recognize what he's given us, to develop it, and to deploy it in service to others. Final statement I'm going to make, and then we're done. What are the four commitments of Converge Church? Notice what Tony Cook said. 
He says we're not born again just to have a personal relationship with God. That's the mistake most of us make. And most people say, well, I don't need church because I've got my personal relationship with God. It's vertical. Me and God, we good. But you were born again for more than just a vertical relationship with God. You were born again so you could also have a relationship with God's family. You can't say, well, I love God, but I can't deal with his family. No, that's God's people too now. The scripture says, how can you claim to love a God you haven't seen if you don't love the people that you do see? You can't claim to love God vertically if you despise God's family horizontally. And so we were not just saved to have a personal relationship with God, we were also saved to have a relationship with God's family with one another. If I only focus on God's love for me as an individual and neglect the importance of the local church, I'm going to neglect a huge part of God's overall plan. And that's why God said in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, through the writer of Hebrews, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but let us encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. As I close today's message, I give you that challenge, four commitments, and that's what we're inviting you into, to preserve the unity of the church, to share the responsibility of the local church, to serve the ministry of the local church, and to protect the health of the local church. And if you can have these four commitments and four agreements, not just as it relates to the local church, but even in your family, that you'll fight for unity, that you'll serve your spouse. In fact, one of my mentors said it, a happy marriage is two servants in love. If you'll serve your spouse, if you'll choose to give instead of take, you'll experience the fullness of what God wants for you in your life personally and in all of your relationships. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, for the church that you're building right here at Converge Church. Not a perfect church, but a church that's growing. A church that desires to become better and a church that desires to look more like you. So God, would you help us to honor these four commitments to each other, but also to you. And God, just this morning, I just pray specifically for those that you have uniquely anointed and gifted that God, each one, would discover, develop, and deploy what you have entrusted to them. That we won't sit on what you've given us, but that we will steward it well and use it in service to others. Because that's how you measure greatness in your kingdom. Not the titles, but the towels. Father, I pray that you would seal this word in our hearts. Make us more like you as we follow you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Glory to God. Listen, uh, Coquetso, why don't you come? We're praying for you this weekend. And uh, continue to, 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 to pray with us and for us uh, as we take this journey and, uh, you know, finalize the process of uh, acquiring 1611 Wilmoth Road. We're sort of in that 30-day period. The inspection is completed or has been completed. And uh, we'll close as early as June 17th. Wouldn't that be an awesome Father's Day gift? Yeah. Father's Day is June 19th. But may not be pretty cool if we could close on June 17th. Uh, 
however, in our uh, agreements, if we don't close on the 17th, we will, the latest we will close is July 8th. So be in prayer for us. You may not know this, but every day at 3.20, we've invited our leaders, actually we've invited our church to join us in prayer. And I know that sometimes I'm guilty of it. You know, when I start to see the miracle unfolding, I kind of, I kind of, I don't, I don't lean in as much as I once did in prayer. No, I invite you to join us all the more as you pray for Converge Church and even more specifically at 3.20 p.m. every day. You say, why 3.20, Pastor Ray? It's just symbolic. It is just symbolic. There's no doctrine around it. But Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ever ask or imagine. And just symbolically, metaphorically even, we've invited our church at 3.20 to join us in prayer that God will continue and that he will complete the miracle that he has started concerning 1611 Wilmoth Road. But not just the building, the miracle that he's doing right now in people's lives. So would you join us daily? Set your alarm. I have an alarm on my phone. At 3.20, I'm reminded to stop and pray for you, to stop and pray for our church, and to stop and pray for this miracle. Hey, we'll keep you guys posted and let you know everything that's happening, but we're excited. And I don't know about you, but I'm one of those, hey, man, I'm waiting until the ink dries kind of guys. It just, it just helps me. But our God is a faithful God, and he gave us a word that says, there is more and we believe that thank you so much for joining us i know it's memorial day weekend you could be anywhere but you chose to be here this morning and you chose to tune in that means the world to us remember to sign up for father's day i didn't say i said this to our leaders our tradition for many years was babies and bow ties so all the fathers all the men wore bow ties on father's day and then we also had baby dedications now we flip the script uh this year and i don't know if it's going to be an annual tradition but this year man it's going to be suits and sneakers yeah all right so make sure you rock that suit rock your sneakers like espn that's how we're going to do it come on somebody and if you have a child that you would like to dedicate on the 19th. We wanna share in that milestone with you. Uh, there's a link that's gonna go out uh, uh, via email. For those who are in person, you can also register at the Connection Center. God bless you and thank you. Have a wonderful and a safe Memorial Day tomorrow. Amen, amen. Why don't you stand? Stand with us, please. All right. Did everybody enjoy the word? Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. All right. Let us bless you so you can go out there and do God's wonderful work. With hands lifted up to heaven, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord um, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. If you were impacted by today's worship experience, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe today's sermon was exactly what you needed to hear, or you prayed the prayer of salvation for the first time. If so, we've got some information that we'd love to send you to help kickstart your relationship with God. Or if you want more information on how to join our virtual family, please email us at echurchatweareconverged.com. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do so online safely and securely by visiting www.weareconverged.com forward slash give. Or you can give via text 
by texting CONVERGEGIVE along with the dollar amount that you'd like to donate to 77977. Also, you can find all this information on our mobile app. Simply search the app or the Play Store for Converge Church Plano and download the app. It's that easy. Thank you again for joining us for today's worship experience. We look forward to staying connected with you.